We have some Huawei news, and we haven't had news on Huawei in a little while. However, they kept coming up because of the TikTok stuff, and I was kind of, uh, well, we were seeing anybody could see the similarities between what's currently happening to TikTok and what has been happening with Huawei. And we have this development today that, you know, it kind of puts another nail in the coffin, so to speak. I'm not saying Huawei's dead, but maybe a nail in the coffin that is Huawei building 5G networks in the Western world. Infrastructure. Because the UK has banned Huawei from its 5G network. I mean, I was just talking about this when I said, okay, Huawei's still hanging around in certain places. There was the Germany piece. There was the UK piece, which I felt was sensitive in a previous show that we did here. And then you get this news that it's, nope, it's official. They have put an actual guideline, a timeline on how long telcos have to remove this equipment from their 5G infrastructure. And what this is going to mean probably ex extends even outside of the 5G component because now that you're outlawing them in that area, it's hard to imagine these telcos wanting to put those consumer devices on the shelf, which they have been doing in places like the UK. So this is a real dent. It was a, it was a Western stronghold mm. for Huawei. It was a place they were hanging on. Now there's uh, likely a number of reasons why this could have uh, taken place. Apparently Trump has been applying pressure to the UK to, to do this, to do something like this, to follow suit uh, stating that, that that even potentially their military relationship could be in jeopardy if the UK continued down this path of uh, allowing mm -hmm. this build-out to take place. And so that could be a piece. I mean, obviously, there's a piece as well just internally within the UK government where they had been considering this type of decision. And it's a lot like I was talking about with TikTok where if nations that are your allies particularly in the information realm, if they uh, uh, if they if they take action against a particular company like Huawei, particular nation like China, there's uh, there's of course there's pressure then for the uh, for the other countries that have that alliance to follow suit mm -hmm. just by nature of the fact like oh are we still cool? Mm -hmm. It's like, in a, you know, you're in the schoolyard. It's like, well, we're cool, then we don't yeah. like that guy anymore. So yeah. you're still hanging out with him, then yeah. he did X, Y, Z, whatever he did. Let's just bully him instead. <laughs> you know? Well, I don't know if, you know, in the geo... <laughs> no, no, don't, no bully. In the geopolitical realm, it's, it's obviously a lot more complicated. And you have trade and you have tariffs and you have... You have a lot going on. Right. So it's complicated. There's more to it than the schoolyard, but there is a schoolyard component to it. Operators such as BT and Vodafone have been given until 2027. That's a lot of time, by the way, but I guess this stuff does take time. To remove existing Huawei equipment from their 5G networks, the UK government announced on Tuesday. Digital and Culture Minister Oliver Dowden said new US sanctions imposed on the company in May had significantly changed the landscape. So... Part of this as well is important to state is that the, the sanctions that the U.S. puts on suppliers to Huawei makes any other nation question whether or not they're going to be capable of getting the equipment and service and parts that they need in the future from Huawei in order to maintain those 
ever important communications networks. So if, for example, a U.S. sanction stops a company like TSMC from supplying components that Huawei needs in order to, to continue to supply a country like the U.K., then the U.K. says, well, even if we felt that it wasn't any kind of security risk to have this 5G equipment, it's hard for us to imagine this being the most reliable choice given the fact that their relationship with the U.S. is affecting their ability to get parts. Mm -hmm. So it's there's depth to it, man. There's an, I'm sure there are a variety of things weighing on this decision, but what does it mean for Huawei? Well, that's pretty obvious. It ain't good. Mm -hmm. It means that it means that the pylon gets heavier. And anyone reading this, any nation, any minister that's saying, wait a sec, if the UK believes they're not going to be able to get the supplies they want or they need from a maintenance perspective, from a long-term perspective, in, in order to continue to build this thing out on one platform from one company, well, maybe we should be looking into this too. So that includes Germany and the others. Of course... Uh, Huawei has been pretty extensively banned, so there's many nations that just made the call way sooner, places like Australia, Japan, and so on. But as, like I said, as this pile gets higher, it it's increasingly difficult to put your bet on Huawei, mm -hmm. particularly, I mean, in the Western world at least. Yes. In China, of course, they're going to they're gonna hang around, they're going to be around. The decision is a big win for the Trump administration, which has been pushing allies to exclude Huawei from their 5G networks arguing that the Chinese company is a threat to national security. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo declared last month that the tide is turning against Huawei as citizens around the world are waking up to the danger of the Chinese Communist Party's surveillance state. That's Pompeo. That's the same guy who said similar things about TikTok. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing is heating up. I don't remember what you said before we started shooting. What did you say? You said something. What did I say? I don't know. Did you say the end is near? You said something along those lines. You had a nice little catchphrase. I thought maybe you could let the people is in. It? I don't remember. Um, sometimes I just say things and then, yeah. you know. Well, hit us with some kind of catchphrase since we since we missed out on what you said earlier. Or they missed out. I didn't miss out. Um, catchphrase. That's your catchphrase? Oh, yeah. Nice. The U.S. sanctions restrict companies like TSMC, a Taiwan-based firm, from exporting computer chipsets and other key components to Huawei. Without them... Huawei can't build the 5G base stations and other equipment that it would need to build in these markets in which they had these agreements. So, yeah, man, it's uh, it's tough to do business in the technology realm without the support of, of nations and governments. That's what we've learned. Mm. If you lose that, you're going to be in rough shape pretty quick because of the, all the regulatory bodies and the way that this stuff is controlled and the power of sanctions. Holy moly, imagine. Mm -hmm. You just say... Now you can't sell that over there. And then you come to realize, man, when you pick up your smartphone, when you take a look at your router, when you take a look at the giant cell tower sitting there, the number of components and intellectual property from various manufacturers and companies and the license agreements and everything else that goes yep. into that one tower. Sheesh. That's all. That's the only thing you can say after you think about all of it. Yep. So uh, it appears here Trump's going to be happy with this. He's going to. Uh, maybe when this whole, when the whole thing, when when world travel continues, he's gonna go visit the UK, sit down for a little tea because he doesn't mind this right here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of computer components, chipmaker Qualcomm is investing ninety-seven million dollars in geo platforms. Geo platforms, I'm sure you're aware, Will. This is the big player 
this is the big piece, the big communications company uh, um, headed up by Asia's richest man, which people tell me when I posted the article, uh, India's richest man. He said, hey, Lou, get it together. That's Asia's richest man. I was like, whoa, easy. Whoa. Sorry about that. Okay. Sheesh. Didn't get the term. Well, he's India's richest man too. Yes. So anyways, uh, they want to improve their relationship as you would if you were a chip maker, as you would if you were uh, interested in 5G. Uh, biggest telco in India is going to uh, be deploying all kinds of 5G equipment very soon. And Qualcomm wants to, they would want to be along for that ride, testing their devices and their upcoming chipsets. So this is, believe it or not, this is not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. What's this guy? Uh, Ambani has a net worth of 58 billion. So 97 million, wait, what? Who cares, right? I mean, the company, I'm sure, is worth even, even more than that. It actually only accounts for a 0.15 stake in the company through its venture arm. So it's not a significant amount of money, but it actually kind of reminds me to a certain extent of Sony's investment in Epic Games that we reported on recently that we talked about. And they're, they're, what it is is it's kind of a gesture. It's a handshake. It's a corporate handshake. It says, we support you. You support us. Mm. We need a little information. We want to run a test. We want to do a thing. You want to reference us. You want to talk to us. If we're building the devices that eventually end up on your network and the equipment that goes into the devices that eventually end up on your network, we should have a better dialogue, an open dialogue, and we should be invested in each other's futures, mm -hmm. which is what this kind of comes down to. Qualcomm is the second chip maker to pump money into geo platforms after Intel invested $253 million to pick up a 0.39% share. The U.S.-based chip maker is a key pillar in 5G development, especially when it comes to mobile phones. The investment can help both companies test 5G in India. And Bonnie, which is Reliance's chairman, Reliance, the company, uh, the, uh, what would you say? The, um, the parent company? Parent? I don't know. I think that it's just Geo, I guess, is a brand underneath yep. uh, the Reliance company. Anyway, uh, he said Qualcomm offers insights that will help us deliver our 5G vision. Here's a quote Qualcomm has been a valued partner for several years, and we have a shared vision of connecting everything by building a robust and secure wireless and digital network and extending the benefits of digital connectivity to everyone in India. As a world leader in wireless technologies, Qualcomm offers deep technology know-how and insights that will help us deliver on our 5G vision and the digital transformation of India for both people and enterprises. This guy run. He's wow. going to run for leadership eventually. You keep busting out quotes like that. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, Geo is raising a boatload of cash. That's right. I would call it that. Fifteen point seven three billion from 13 different investors in the past few months, including names such as Facebook, Silver Lake Partners, and General Atlantic. You can add, of course, Qualcomm to that list now. Uh, I would say people are interested in India and this expanding, expanding telecommunication setup, 5G setup, and the potential to connect, well, billions of people. Right on. Holy moly. This is dominating the trending page today. The Ford Bronco is back. You and I watched the uh, announcement video, which was actually a YouTube premiere. Mm -hmm. They set it up. They had uh, chapters in there. It was live. There were commenters, people very excited about the Ford Bronco. This, of course, 
is a, uh, a rev revival of a brand that Ford, of a product, a vehicle that Ford made for actually a pretty long period of time. It went away. I'm not really sure why it went away specifically. Uh, of course, many things happen in the in the automotive market, but people are coming back to SUVs, off-road vehicles. Of course, you have the Jeep, which sells well for Chrysler. That's a big, big deal for them. And uh, Ford mostly completely out of, if not, if not, yeah, completely out of sedans. Hmm. They're they're just they're doubling down on these types of vehicles. The F-150, they they redid it a little bit. Very popular vehicle. It's this is like a mini F-150. They said with the soul of a Mustang because it's called a Bronco. Yeah. You see how this is all going together, Will? But I gotta say, I look at this video and I don't know how people feel about the styling and all this. I think though they're gonna sell a couple of these things. I'm gonna tell you that right now. I'm gonna put put uh, I'm gonna put it on wax. Put it on wax. Wow. I said that. Before. I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah, I said yeah. that before a long time ago. But yeah. that just means I'm gonna put it on record. This is right. gonna be a popular vehicle, and I just it, I don't know why. Maybe with everything that happened with the lockdown, the outdoors just feels cool right now. You just want to get outdoors. You want to get out the city. Yeah. You want to explore, and you want a vehicle that can handle it all. But you don't want to pay a fortune for it, and that's one of the problems with a lot of the emerging uh, electric vehicle startups that kind of elicit the same outdoorsy response it's a price tag mm -hmm. it's a price tag that comes with those ones this one on the other hand is going to start at thirty thousand bucks for a cool car man for a cool car and I, I think i think you're excited about it well oh yeah it looks super rugged and uh it kind of has like a rivian vibe you know at the front of it um you know what it is it's future rugged future yeah. and rugged together which is a weird it's a weird combination. We don't know if the future's rugged. Obviously, the Cybertruck thinks so. This one is kind of more, it's a different future. You're right. It's a Rivian future. But it certainly combines a kind of futuristic sleekness mm -hmm. with an off-road, beat-it-up type of vibe to it with the big 35-inch tires, which you can get on any of the models. So uh, a couple more specifics here. It's going to come in a two-door and a four-door model. There's going to be a sport model as well, which is the more affordable model, I believe. The non-sport model is going to be made in Michigan, where the sport model is going to be made in Mexico. They built the Bronco from 1966 to 1996, Will. So it was around for a while, and then they just took some time off. Now it comes back. Some really cool features. You can take the doors off and then store the doors in the back. Mm -hmm. A lot of people in the Jeep world have been doing this but there's a couple problems that arise with the jeep doors where do you put them if you take them off right and then also you lose your side mirrors on a jeep what you'll see here will if you look right there you actually can look at that frame you can actually hit play right here those side mirrors are not attached to the doors they are attached almost to the hood a little bit uh -huh. right below the windshield so you don't lose your side mirrors when you go open air and remove the doors. Now, the other cool thing on the four-door model, you remove the roof, and it's a totally open experience. It's wild. Mm -hmm. Imagine a guy like you with Otis. Oh. You're, head, you're heading out to the, to the uh, Algonquin Park up north or something yeah. like this. My hair is breezing. You're, the breeze is flowing? Yeah. 
Uh, you have a beverage in the cup holder. Yeah. You got 35-inch tires. You're ready for anything. You got goat modes on the four on the four-wheel drive. Every single model coming with the the four-wheel four-wheel drive on there. And uh, I gotta say, I'm pretty excited ab- about it. And I can't say the same for a lot of gas-powered vehicles right now. They're not. It's not all that inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the fact there's gonna be a two-door for people who want something with a smaller wheelbase. And the thing appears to have some real off-road capabilities. They were talking about uh, the different angles, the approach angles, and real off-road talk. Oh, yeah. Man, there was one that I was looking at. It was like sleek black, no no doors. It looked really cool. Yeah, you pictured yourself in it. Oh, yeah. So it's pretty sick. A lot of uh, thought appears to have gone into this. They've been working on it for a while apparently we started this project several years ago said winston landon ford global director of consumer insights the foundational principle in the beginning was really the fact that the bronco had already been a brand and there's a strong heritage around the bronco that's important because the vehicle would need to deliver what's true for the bronco capability durability and of course the design there's a lot of emotional connection that people had with this specific brand i think i believe he's right so as i mentioned The Bronco will be built at the Automaker's Assembly Plant in Wayne, Michigan, and the Bronco Sport will be built at the uh, Hermosillo Plant in Sonora, Mexico. Now, Ford, actually, they put down a $5 billion loss for the second quarter. Obviously, lockdown not helping with the car sales, unless maybe your Tesla. But they think this one's going to be a big hit for them. I think it's going to be a hit for them starting at $29,995 for the 2021 Bronco two-door, and the four-door is going to start at $34,695. As mentioned, this thing's going to go right up against the Jeep, but if they can replicate the success they've had with the F-150 in this off-road vehicle against the Jeep, you you, you can imagine having a big hit. Mm -hmm. You can imagine it. And, oh, the tech got a big upgrade as well. I don't know if you can go to the tech section of the video there, but they put a big display inside the car. Uh, it's going to be optional. The more expensive model will have the big display in there with all of your... I mean, it's not going to self-drive, but you know you're probably going to have the Android Auto and you're going to have the... Uh, the What does Apple call it? CarPlay mm-hmm. in there. And it's a very... It's a minimal dash with a big screen. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's also some off-road features in there as well with the 360 cameras and the off-road specifics. So... Uh, exciting times if you're in the market for a new vehicle. Lots of options. Oh, and I should mention from a tech perspective as well, uh, Ford obviously working on the, what do they call it, the Mach-E, which is the, the Mustang electric vehicle. Imagine slapping an electric version of this together or even potentially using some of the insight you're getting from Rivian since Ford is such a big investor in Rivian, mm-hmm. the electric vehicle startup. And I know because a lot of people can ask, where's the electric version of this? Who knows? Maybe it will come as well. Right. Because it looks like this design looks like it would also be suitable for an electric model because it does have that futuristic look to it. Mm-hmm. So anyways, there it is. Brand new Ford Bronco. Uh, speaking of vehicles, this next story, I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently every so often a rear bumper flies off of a, mo- a Tesla Model 3. It was apparently an issue in 2018. It kind of cooled off a little bit. We have a video clip here. You can you can click play on it. It's using the rear view camera to show kind of what happens. This guy's driving 
it's rainy and hits a puddle and there goes the rear bumper. Uh, That's not a fun day on the road. If you're a driver, he thought he got rear-ended, pulled over to a parking lot to recognize that the that the rear bumper had blown off. Now, of course, if this is, is any other car, this isn't even a story. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it's Tesla. Tesla has such a uh, crazy and enthusiastic user base. They follow this stuff very closely. Now, this user apparently originally contacted roadside assistance, didn't have much luck. So he writes in, uh, and the story ends up getting covered on inside EVs. Eventually, Tesla says, hey, we're going to take care of it. But apparently in the past, Tesla has had some issues with missing bolts on certain components that may be a contributing factor in this stuff happening. Uh, I think, like I said, I think it could happen to any car, but yeah, that's not the thing you want to be told when no. this ha- if this happens to you. Actually, if you scroll down, you can see some pictures of the guy's car. And uh, I mean, it's a huge, <laughs> that's a huge piece. Whoa. Come off your car, Will. You're just traveling along and- The bottom piece. It seems like it scooped it up. It, yeah, yeah. Water obviously got underneath. Yeah, and and Just, applied pressure yeah. and and ripped the whole thing off. Whoa. Like I said, there's apparently been a few cases of this. Here's a here's a quote. I waited for the roadside assistance for over an hour. I decided to keep calling. They told me they were sending me a quote for how much it would cost. I asked if they could cover it, and one person on the line said it was an act of God. What? So obviously this guy wasn't happy about that. He sent a few emails and then they said, yeah, you're right. Forget about the act of God concept. We're going to replace the thing. But look at the guys. If you go scroll up to the other picture there, he's got the expensive rims on there too. So he specced out that Model 3. He got the performance with those rims. So, I mean, it's not a good look. He just wants to love and, and enjoy. And he even says, a huge Tesla fan. And he even says, owner of Tesla stock long term. So this is the type of guy you want to satisfy, and and they went out of their they went out of their way. They did that, they fixed it up. Hopefully, they put a few more bolts in there and uh, got that rear end figured out. Yeah, because no one's no one's loving this experience here. But like I said, I, this could happen to any car. It's uh, assembly lines and bolts and yeah, you miss a few sometimes. <laughs> That's how it works, right? <laughs> There's some key bolts. Let's get the rims bolted on. Let's get the the batteries bolted in there. Bumpers, ah, yeah, that one. It's mean, drivable, right? Yeah, if it flies off. Uh, we can live with it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm having fun, but uh, yeah, I mean, tough day at the office for this guy. Snapchat is testing TikTok style navigation for exploring public content. Everybody is ready and willing in the social media sphere to scoop up the TikTok energy because it's gonna need somewhere to go. Although I have to say, since we've started talking about TikTok on this show, I've been looking at a comment here and there, and people, there's some serious hatred for TikTok. Really? There's a lot of people who come in the comments and say, good riddance. Oh. They say, get rid of it. They say, uh, uh, I don't care. I, finally, I don't have to look at cringe anymore and all this. There's a lot of commenting like that. I don't know. I feel like if you don't like it, just don't look at it, whatever. Let yeah. the people do what they're doing. But, but people talking about it all the time. All the time. That's the thing. So it's a, it's it's the popularity is something that's, that's not up for dispute. I mean, even whether you were a lover or a hater of TikTok, hmm. people were there, people were looking. And so now companies like Instagram, which we talked about launching their Reels product, YouTube apparently is working on their product, and Snapchat wouldn't mind taking though some of that TikTok action, TikTok producers, TikTok viewers, 
And what's interesting is they're approaching it from a navigation perspective. And this is something I've been thinking about for a while. What is it you're really addicted to if you're using a platform like TikTok? Is it the content itself or is it the process of selecting content? Are you addicted to swiping? Maybe. Yeah. It's a bit of a game when you get the swipe going. So uh, apparently Snapchat has be begun to experiment with a vertical swipe to move through content that would show up on its, what they, did they call it Discover? Yes, yeah, Snapchat Discover navigation page. Similar to how you would just kind of mindlessly swipe through or swipe up and down on TikTok to move quickly through content. And you'll see an embedded tweet there that actually sort of demonstrates the way the nav is working. You swipe up to skip to the next clip. You tap to advance because, of course, on Snapchat, you have stories, right? Well, mm -hmm. you still have to move through panels that you wouldn't have to do on TikTok. So now they move that to the tap function, and then you swipe left and right to exit out of that portion. If you play this little clip here, you'll see a better example of how the nav works. I mean, it's exactly like TikTok. You swipe up and down, videos start playing, but it's still Snapchat. So to swipe through or to move through to the other panels, you would then tap. And then to get rid of it, you swipe it down. So very TikTok-y. And they're probably hoping to get people addicted to it. Now, it's important to note, a lot of Snapchat activity is the private type of activity. People snapping one another and uh, messaging one another, obviously. And so th this doesn't affect or impact that. This is public stuff. This is the public stories that people want to be seen on a discovered page. Uh, but I don't know. Is it, it? I guess we'll see what ends up happening. It's a it's it's a test that's only uh, only taking place in a in an experimental way right now. Not everybody has the feature apparently. And if it goes well, and all of a sudden they see the uh, retention metrics, and people are addicted, and they're swiping like crazy then it probably rolls out more extensively and everybody appears to be very interested in in becoming the new addiction for TikTok users that are are evacuating. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you think. Will the Snapchat stand a chance or will it be Instagram or is YouTube going to do it? Who's going to do it? Maybe Instagram. They Maybe Instagram. The, uh, audience. They got the audience. That type. So. Yeah. 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 And it's a more public-facing thing. It's Snapchat... It still has to get around this fact that it's mostly a messaging app for a lot of people still. Right. And the the public facing broadcast stuff was always kind of a secondary thing that they had been attempting to develop. Mm -hmm. And I guess that continues with this year. We'll see what happens. Apple faces nearly $1 billion in, uh, in a penalty here from Samsung for ordering too few OLED screens. We've talked about this in the past. I think most people are aware Apple is a huge customer of OLED displays from Samsung for, for a number of different models within its lineup. Samsung, the, uh, the big-time provider of OLED, not just for Apple, but just for the smartphone industry. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, arguably the, the best manufacturer of such devices. Well, when you have a customer the scale of Apple, Will, you kind of want to know how many screens they're going to need. Yes. <laughs> yeah, before, before you tool the whole thing up and start uh, setting the gears in motion and piling up. It's a big order. It's a huge order. You want to prepare for it. So it appears that you know, Apple Apple, and, and Samsung, they come to these agreements beforehand saying, okay, you agree to purchase this number of displays from us. 
we tool up, we make sure you get them in a timely fashion. We make sure we have the staff on hand to deliver the things and 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 also that we uh, we book that portion of the assembly line to be available when you need it to be available. Hmm. So it could be because otherwise they could take on a different customer mm-hmm. and in order to to fill that bandwidth that they yes. have available inside the assembly line. And then this is the other piece. The other piece comes in here where they say, okay, what happens if uh, we don't need all those screens? And so it appears that what ends up happening is they have inside of the contract somewhere, you're going to pay us just a bunch of money to to deal with the fact that that you don't need these screens, you can't buy these screens, and we lost the opportunity to be making screens for somebody else or some other devices, maybe even our own devices. And so this lump sum figure according to sources, is a payment close to $950 million. That that will, I don't know if you noticed, but that's pretty close to that B letter. Yeah. That word that starts with the letter B, billion. It's almost a billion bucks. Imagine that. Oh, I, was, I thought you were going to say boatload. Oh, boatload. <laughs> boatload as well. I think boatload starts at a billion as well. Maybe. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Maybe not. We haven't established We haven't established it. Boatloads a lot. So definitely a billion is a boatload. Um, Samsung noted in its Q2 guidance release that the operating profit for Q2 included a one-time gain related to its display business. People were like, what's this one-time gain? What are we talking about? It didn't include the amount, so people started to investigate, try to figure out what that amount might be. Uh, originally, people speculated $745 million. Now, uh, some new reports suggest it was closer to that billion-dollar figure, $950 million. The Apple payment likely turned what otherwise would have been an operating loss for display devices into an operating profit. Revenue guidance was down 7% year-on-year for Samsung Display, but operating profit guidance was up 23%, which is much higher than analysts' expectations. They think a part of it is this big one-time cash payment. So this tells us two things, obviously. Well, it tells us more than two things, but this weird working relationship that Apple and Samsung have to have and the fact that they're so intimately involved that Samsung knows exactly how many displays Apple needs, how many units they're moving, uh, the speed at which, what their uh, pr- production schedule looks like for new models. And it's a tight chip. It's weird, right? Yeah. To, to be that closely uh, involved with what many would con- consider to be your main competitor. And then on the other side, to... To, to have this double up of negative performance so you, you your, your phone doesn't sell as well as you expect so you can't so you don't need all this extra all these extra displays so you're already hurting a little bit on that front and then you got to turn around and send a billion dollars to the supplier because mm-hmm. you couldn't meet it now there's a bit of dispute on what how this billion dollars is exchanged it may not be a billion dollars they don't show up with briefcases they don't no they may just move that money towards a future contract or something like yeah. this. But it just it's 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 always weird to me to examine these inner workings and the fact that much like the Huawei story earlier, this is you think you're a tech fan of a you think you're a fan of a particular brand, just realize it's not it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. You may be it's also intertwined technology and advancement and building on top of what others have and the variety of components and companies that go into into the thing that sits in your pocket. It's better to be a fan of the whole thing in general. It's, yes. it's a safer bet. Uh, 
Possible iPhone 12 battery certification suggests lower capacities than iPhone 11 series. Uh, this is a report. It's speculation based on a few batteries that were identified via uh, model numbers and appeared on Safety Korea, China's 3C, and Danish agency UL Demco. These are certification agencies that uh, look at products and components prior to th them launching in those regions. And so many are speculating that these components are going to be for the upcoming iPhone models, including the iPhone 12, 12 Max, 12 Pro, and 12 Pro Max. And the capacities that come along with these new model numbers, 2,227 milliamp hours for the regular 5.4-inch iPhone 12, 12 Max, 2775 milliamps, uh, 12 Pro, the same, and then 12 Pro Max at 3,687 milliamp hours. Uh, these are these are not terrible numbers, but they're not as good as the previous models, the 11 Pro and 11 Pro Max. Uh, those those two devices, I should say, for those that are unfamiliar, tremendous battery, particularly on the Max model, mm. arguably best battery in a flagship. Period. And I've I've looked at battery tests. I've I've used those devices on my own. It's just they had a, they had great battery life, and that hadn't necessarily been an area where Apple was the strongest. And they really put a lot of attention into it on those 11 Pro models. So some people are upset, saying, "Hey, you did something so right. Why you take a step back now? Particularly, you're going to have 5G. You're going to be using more battery life. But who knows why they needed the space? Mm -hmm. Who knows what the agenda was?" It's hard to say without having a device here yet, but nonetheless, you're going to be taking a step back. It looks like if this if this report is uh, what ends up happening here, the uh, iPhone 11 Pro had a 3,046 milliamp hour battery, and the 11 Pro Max had a 3,969 milliamp hour battery. So almost 4,000 milliamp hour battery in the Pro Max model that dips down to 3,687. And on the non-max model, it goes from 3,046 milliamp hours down to 2,775. And so people are saying, if you get the high refresh display on there, if you get the 5G in there, that's more power consumption. Hmm. And you pair it with a smaller battery, well, for sure we're going to get, I mean, I don't know what software optimizations you can bring to the table, but chances are we may have a slight step back hmm. on battery life for those upcoming models worth considering. Uh, I don't know if you saw this story. It's from a couple days ago, but it just didn't end up on my radar. This was such a weird one, and it, I knew it actually impacted you. Yeah. So, oh, I'll just. I, mean, I, I read about I'm it. I'm gonna pause for a I, minute. I here. wasn't too worried. I'm gonna take a drink of water and let you just uh, let the people know what's going on here. I mean, I just looked at the headline as I do um, without reading the article, but uh, it made me think of my MacBook, and uh, I have a cover on it, but it's super thin. Mm -hmm. And. Maybe it's just affecting the newer models that mm -hmm. have the new keyboard. So you're not nervous yourself. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Okay, so I'm gonna so give I'm, people. I'm I'll give people that. the uh, the quick breakdown here. Reports started to emerge that MacBooks were breaking, the displays were breaking, or you're getting a single line uh, damage down the display. And uh, the the reports are that it's. Uh, because of people using covers for their cameras, right? Mm. And this is a thing, this is a relatively recent thing, but people like to cover their cameras right now. Mm -hmm. People like to, the concern about privacy and 
not believing the little light that's on there. Apple's like, we got a light. Listen yeah. to the light. If it's not green, it's not on. We promise. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, right. And they slap a cover on there. All kinds of weird things people are using to cover. And possibly people are using covers increasingly now because of the the lockdown and many having to use Zoom and it's just convenient. Mm -hmm. If you, you're midway through a, a Zoom call or something, you just want to turn the camera off real quick, you can slide the thing over and trust that you know it's covered mm -hmm. as opposed to some kind of switch, software switch, which people, for whatever reason, right. aren't believing in 2020. Right. And so, anyways, Apple obviously received an increase in reports because they came out with a page on their website uh, give, giving some guidelines saying do not ever cover your camera. In fact, they said you shouldn't cover, if you're going to cover your camera, it has to be something thinner than a sheet of paper, which I don't even know what that, even tape, mm -hmm. even a piece of tape might be, maybe masking tape would work. That's pretty thin. Mm -hmm. But anyways, then, then they, they warn you against certain adhesives. They really just don't want you doing it. They want you believing the light, which obviously... People aren't that into, but you are correct, Will, in that this is mostly affecting the new 16-inch model MacBook Pro mm. because that you're you have the slimmest bezel they've put. Mm. You have less space up there, and so and less tolerance when you close mm. the lid. There's just no space in there. Everything the tolerances are mm. so tight that that tiny little cover can can cause enough can put enough torque on there to damage. The entire display it's kind of crazy man everything is so tight in there so uh the camera this is their statement the camera is engineered so that it can't activate without the camera indicator light also turning on that's the apple official document sure but <laughs> people don't want to believe it but anyways in the meantime uh i think i don't know about you but the trade-off i'm saying if there's a chance you're going to smash your whole display and they're not going to replace, that's an expensive repair. Mm -hmm. Now, they are saying, hey, if you have Apple Care Plus, which is the extended warranty that you paid extra money for, they will repair it. But who knows if you don't have that, what they're, what they're going to say. They can say, look, we had the document now. We told you not to do it. Yeah. And you did it. So it could be a huge problem for you. So I think the recommendation coming from me here is probably don't do it. Yeah. Probably don't do it. And if you are going to do it, be aware you don't want to be slamming that lid. Right. You don't want to be gentle with it probably when you close it. Uh, or you could just believe Apple that the green light mean, means everything. Uh, either way, just be aware. Maybe use a strip of tape instead, mm -hmm. particularly if you're on that new model, the 16-inch model. Dr. Disrespect News. <laughs> oh, an update. And, of course, it's not really an update oh. because that would just be too – well, it is an update. I, you know what? It is an update because of how little we've been able to figure out about this enormous story in the streaming world. Everything's an update. Any little tidbit of information is an update, yeah. truthfully. Dr. Disrespect's Twitter profile update teases move to YouTube. Okay, here's what happened, Will. This is news when everything is so vague. Just recently, I guess it was yesterday, and 14 hours ago, just recently... He goes onto his profile, him or whoever's in charge or whatever, and switches the link from, from Twitch to YouTube. Uh -huh. Okay, it hadn't been switched since the whole thing. Maybe, okay, now you can read into it however you want. It could be nothing. Hmm. Could just be as simple as why am I linking people to, to Twitch? I don't have a Twitch page. I'm dead on Twitch. 
and and I just should, should just fix that up. He could have just woke up in the morning and be like, oh yeah, I should switch that. Or for guys like us to like to look a little deeper, maybe there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an uh, an announcement coming. Ninja, uh, as we mentioned previously on this show, made the move to YouTube, started streaming on YouTube. Wasn't to be a lot of fanfare, no press release, just started streaming on YouTube. Who knows? What does it mean? Is there an agreement? Maybe. Was it just a smart choice? Was it an easy place to go? Sure. All of the above. The key with this is how you want to interpret the timing. If he got banned from Twitch, wiped off the face of the earth, why not immediately move the link? Mm -hmm. Right? Did you think along the way, if you're Dr. Disrespect, that maybe there's a chance to mend the relationship? Maybe when the investigation take whatever the issue is, maybe there's a chance we can get it together. We'll leave the link. Mm-hmm. Then maybe, there's a lot of maybe, but maybe you find out yesterday or 14 hours ago, it ain't yeah. gonna happen. Well. It's a mess. It's bad news. Get that link out of my face. Let's put YouTube. Let's start working on, towards a relationship with YouTube. Let's start moving in the direction of YouTube. I mean, you can't, just completely wipe the guy out forever, can you? Can he, does he just vanish from the, or no, he's got something. He's got people interested. He's got people that want to watch him. Mm-hmm. So again, in the absence of any new information coming about, about what actually led to the ban, why can't he just start streaming on YouTube? What kind of agreements are in play? What does his contract say? Mm-hmm. It's all very curious. You would think if you're banned completely from one platform, you you could should be able to go stream somewhere else. Yeah, I don't know. Of course, it's all it's it's going to remain complicated with him because he had this special agreement with Twitch. Mm-hmm. He was goofing on Ninja when Ninja went to Mixer. Yeah, he got that promo video to announce his extended his new contract. He got money. He got agreements from them. So we don't know all of that, but we're gonna keep our eye on it because. These little pieces are the only indication we have, the only thing we can use to predict what's actually going on. So you could see him. You could see disrespect on YouTube at some point. I think we can say that fairly confident. Yeah. Yeah. And his link switched on his Twitter bio. (laughs) (laughs) Canon is, I guess, having some issues, at least a minor controversy here, at least some attention around overheating issues relating to its new R5 and R6 cameras. Very hot cameras. Not just hot, but hot. Yeah. Double hot. Quite literally. These things shoot 8K resolution video, and they also shoot 4K resolution video at 120 FPS. Of course, I'm talking about the R5 model. This is, it was like a... um, People didn't believe this was going to happen. That's how big of a deal this is, to get 8K resolution or 4K 120 inside of a body that small. So part of the reason that people were skeptical when it was announced was due to heat. They say, what? Come on, my stuff's overheating right now and I don't have no resolution like that, full full sensor type stuff. And so people were skeptical and rightfully so it appears because now we have these official numbers from Canon. And honestly, the, the, the biggest standout for me is not the recording limit cap at these high resolutions, but it's how long the thing needs to cool down before you can start recording again. Your camera is sitting there dead while you're waiting for that sensor for the thing to cool down so you can start shooting again. So, for example, if you're shooting 8K 30 frames, 
and you're doing the full sensor width, you have a 20 minute recording cap. And of course this depends on the external conditions. It depends on the, the heat within the environment. So they're saying 73 Fahrenheit, 23 Celsius, but just typical conditions, you're gonna get 20 minutes of record time. The problem is if you do, you, you, you do 20 minutes of record time at that temperature, you're then gonna have to wait eight minutes for the thing to cool down before you can shoot again. Eight minutes and the camera's dead and you might need to catch a get that next clip. It could be, mm -hmm. it could be a problem. Now, I understand people are upset. They want they wanted the perfect camera. Everybody who's into cameras wants the perfect camera. But I'm sitting here, I'm just trying to see both sides and to say, I'm still glad they did it. I understand these are some pretty severe limitations and you hope that they pitch the thing correctly to people and people don't get uh, the wrong expectations when they go in to buy it. But to shoot 8K30 or 4K 120, even with limitations in a body like that, still pretty cool. That's an achievement. It's an achievement. Now, granted, if I could go rewrite the whole thing, because of the way I use cameras primarily for video, I would say put the fan in it and, and give me the extended runtime. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I'll take, a, I'll take a slightly bigger body. That's me. But the problem with these types of cameras is they're trying to be the perfect camera for stills and video at the same time. And it's difficult to do that without some degree of compromise. Yeah. You got to give and you take somewhere. Sacrifice something. So to get the body nice and comfortable for stills, these are your recording time limits for video. So 20 minutes, full sensor 8K, 15 minutes, full sensor 4K 120 high frame rate. If you're willing to go shoot 4K 30, you can then get up to 30 minutes. And if you do an APS-C sensor crop, you have no time limit. So there are some, some ways in which you can extend the recording time. You can also go for the R6 model, which is capable of shooting 4K 30 with 94% of the sensor width for 40 minutes. So if runtime is your priority, you could actually save some money and go for the R6 model instead of the R5. But I still think it's cool. Yes, I, I understand people uh, being a little bit upset or wanting more. When you pitch something, you say, hey, Kate, you know, yeah. you, you, they get excited. You do can't you, blame them. Do you think it's wise for them to just show this off right now? Yeah, that's what they're doing. Or they should have done it before. Well, no, because it, it, people didn't. People don't own it yet. Oh, okay. Right? It's right. it's uh, it's part of the announcement, I suppose. They also say magnesium alloy was used in the body to dissipate heat away from the internal components and an overheat control function to reduce heat generation when the camera's in standby. So they knew, they tried, but in the absence of having a fan or a bigger body, this is just where the tech is at right now. There are other cameras I should mention that did were able to cram fans in there and extend recording runtime, like the uh, Panasonic S1H, for example, which is another option you may want to look at for high-res mm -hmm. recording in a small package. However, that only goes up to 6K rather than 8K. So I still think it's a cool camera, but it's unfortunate. But hey, man, tech has, there's limitations, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you gave this one to me. Amazon is testing a Dash Cart Smart grocery shopping cart that sees what you buy. This is a cart which could show up in a variety of supermarket settings. It will likely launch in Amazon's own grocery store, which is opening in Woodland Hills, an actual Amazon grocery hmm. is where you're gonna see this first. It's a smaller cart and the technology, the way that it is right now is focusing sort of on like a two grocery bag shop. 
<laughs> right, not a full cart. Not a crazy Costco cart. And the way that this is going to work, you're going to scan barcodes, drop it in your cart, and it's going to, or if you don't have a barcode, you're going to actually just type in a quick three-digit code or whatever is associated with your produce, for example. It's going to happen on a little digital pad that's on the cart itself. And then the cart is also going to weigh the produce in order to determine what your cost will be. It'll do it all in one shot. And this will, of course, help you avoid the checkout line or even the self-checkout where you, once you get there, it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit of pressure here. So you scan your QR code at first, which will link it to your smartphone. You'll walk through the super supermarket. You grab what you like. You scan. You put it in a cart. And you're living in the future. Well, that's how it works. Hmm. That is the future, really. Well, the the more future is eventually when camera tech just knows what the item is. Yeah. And yeah. you don't even have to scan. But this is more immediately practical with the scanning. And as you see here, it also has a function where it'll alert you if you drop an item in without scanning it, without having scanned it. The other cool thing here is this will let you track your spending. You'll mm -hmm. see what you're up to if you have a budget or something. You'll mm -hmm. see how much you're about to spend without being surprised when you get to the... I don't know if you've ever had that happen. You get you you just add it. You throw things in the cart and you get to the checkout. All, all the time. $2,000 and wonder how that happened. What did I put in there? Where's the bar? Did I put a bar of gold in there? I didn't even notice. It's like, no, you were, in, you were just in the wrong aisle. Yeah. You bought those premium goods. Yeah. You got the, you got the barbecue sauce. You got the uh, the crafty barbecue sauce. You know the one. Couple more cans of caviar too. Yeah, oh yeah, maybe that was what did it. So, anyways, future shopping is coming, and of course, it's being brought to you by Amazon. Uh, this tech is interesting, not just because it'll roll out in their actual stores, but you know they got the Whole Foods thing, so they could just roll it out there, gather all kinds of information and data on you, do all the things they want to do, and then potentially license these carts out to every single. Yes. supermarket that's out there the future is happening this one is uh not so futuristic this is a nostalgic story lego's buildable nes console comes with a playable game well it doesn't really it's not a playable game i thought i read the headlines a playable game in a lego how are you gonna do it hmm. playable in a sense that after you build it it's kind of animated sort of with a crank Ugh. anyway it's still cool yeah, uh, it looks TV. so good. It looks so real. It's a it's an NES console that you will build out of Lego with a controller and a cartridge and an old school looking TV, which will actually move. And if you scroll down a little bit here, Will, you'll see a video, a little launch video. It's not cheap. It's going to cost $229 and include 2,600 bricks. But as you'll notice here, if you scroll forward, maybe just a little bit, you put the screen in. You put the front cover on. There's even an antenna. You plug a controller in. Of course, it's all Lego. He blew on the cartridge for oh. nostalgia's sake. And then you start, and then see, you're playing Mario. Well, isn't that exciting? Well. Uh, so you crank it, but you also play it? No, there's no playing. That's play? playing. That's playing. Oh, okay. You can drop Mario in the top, and I think you get some music if you do that. It's a whole ecosystem, but really it's just, it's a cool collector's item with a Lego component, which is going to be a challenge to build. It's going to be a tougher build, man. 2,600 right, pieces yeah. is no joke. And I think it's going to look cool to put it on display 
And I mean, that's half the reason that people yes. have these retro consoles, yeah. just to look at them and have warm feelings. The aesthetics. So this the one, nostalgia. at least you can say I built that too. Mm-hmm. You can get that piece to it. So people are still in love with NES, it appears. But if you want to be this in love, you're going to have to uh, put some time into it and build a 2600 brick Lego. I didn't know this, but soda flavors are disappearing from stores. Have you oh, heard really? of this conspiracy? People are like, why can't I get the soda flavor I'm looking for? They're disappearing from stores. It's not a conspiracy. It's nothing. Uh, it's, it's, it's no nowhere near fancy enough for Shane Dawson to talk about. Although I'm not sure that he <laughs> is talking about much right now. I feel like he's taking a bit of a break. But anyways, uh, apparently because of the lockdown, people are buying a lot more of the beverages that come in aluminum cans. Hmm. Aluminum can consumption is skyrocketing and they can't keep up with the demand so because of that the beverage makers have been focusing on their most popular brands in order to keep those on the shelves because that's still the majority of of what people are looking for so they're foregoing the production of cans for those uh, sort of more niche beverages that they offer or just less popular ones and I guess they figure hey if you can't find cherry coke you'll just buy regular coke Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're thinking however if you're a coke buyer and you can't find coke you may not take the cherry you see what i'm saying here right right yeah so some of the ones that are out of stock I, I mentioned cherry coke because i believe the uh the one that they reference here cherry coke zero that's a very niche oh, one you want the cherry coke but the zero yeah. component as well now i don't drink too much of this stuff so i'm i'm i haven't noticed this myself what do you go for well i drink were... these i drink these right here no i mean like a carbonated oh. Carbonated is Perrier, because I see I'm not trying to have the sugar. But if you're telling me I gotta, you want me to have a a soda with sugar, the full deal, I'll probably just take a Coca-Cola Classic. Okay, yeah. But as a kid, I loved root beer. Root beer, yes. As a kid, and I'll probably take a root beer still right now. Uh, A and W is a good root beer. But when I was a kid, again, it was those combo packs, so it was the hires root beer. You can't see that stuff anymore. Mm. You can't find that stuff anymore. Yeah. Uh, of course, Barks. Remember Barks? Barks has, has, has bite. bite. Like, they yeah. had a huge campaign. So uh, root beer or regular Coca-Cola would be where I would go. I wouldn't be too much into those fruity ones. Those ones will knock your socks off, uh, like an orange crush or something like that. Ooh. Remember that thing? Those are delicious. Yeah, that'll get you going. <laughs> that'll get you fired right up, oh, won't yeah. it? But anyway, I can't be drinking all that sugar most of the time, so I'm reaching for uh, water, which this one comes in an innovative package. This is like a Tetra Pack. It's kind of like a... It's mostly cardboard, so you can recycle it easily. <laughs> is and, that a sponsor right now? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, they should definitely hit us up because I have a, a subscription. I have a subscription to these flow water and then also i drink perrier with even the ones with the slight flavor but they they're just essentially carbonated water right spring water and uh but i'll drink any of those in in the in the carbonated water realm it could Mm. be perrier it could be the san pellegrino ones that they put out Mm -hmm. uh there's such a wide variety of those yeah would you ever get like a soda stream i have not tried to soda stream you know they keep trying to advertise to me Okay. And uh, I think it's a convenience thing. I like to take on a, I'm going out the door. Mm. I like to take in, you know, you see that? Yeah. Pre-packaged. Could you hear that sound effect right there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah convenience is a big, is a big key. And, uh, but maybe, maybe a soda stream. I think Kirk has a soda stream. He does. He and you love it. it, Kirk? 
Kirk has a so stream and loves it. So he's endorsing soda stream. So whatever, uh, however you like to get your beverages. But if you want to get it in an aluminum can, mm. then you might have to wait a little bit or just uh, pick the classic instead because they're that's what they're focused on. The sale of canned sodas rose by 30% in March and April. People mm. are on lockdown drinking canned sodas. What do you mm. do? 